Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, fans. Welcome back to another episode of La Jaman Latte. Hope you're having an amazing week, which provided you're not in Melbourne is a very real possibility. This week, Large Almond Latte has launched our Bachelor real-time chat. So you can jump into our Facebook group, Large Almond Latte, and talk about Kieran's bro code and praise Litany, the paradise queen we do not deserve in real time. While you're on the socials, don't forget to check out our Instagram page at Large Almond Latte Media for all of the lols and some real easy double tap action. Also this week, I noticed that I had a little white spot on my eye and naturally I consulted my doctor, Google, who gave me the dire news. So I spent the night dividing up my estate, which is my MacBook and three bottles of rosé, when I thought maybe it's best that I get a second opinion. So I booked an eye test. So smooth, right? I can use the guise of getting my eyesight tested and then just casually add in, um, while I'm here, do you mind having a look at this little spot on my eyeball? So she has a look and she's like, oh yeah, that's nothing to worry about. It's just a fat deposit. And I was like, um, sorry, what? And she's like, yes, just fat. So, okay, I have fat eyes. I'm coming to terms with the fact that I have fat eyes. And then she goes on to tell me I also need glasses now too. Today on the podcast. Last week, our Instagram feeds were flooded with black and white selfies with an objective to support women. I look at the women who did the exact opposite. Then we're talking about things you're way too old for, like being 28 and playing a 16-year-old high school student, but how some of these things are actually a blessing in disguise. Finally, I review Kristen Stewart's punishment for cheating on Rob Pattinson, Charlie's Angels. Just to prepare you, this segment changes gears quite a bit from our regular brand, like from fifth into reverse. But for the second segment and the film review, we're straight back into fifth. Last week, I got asked to post a black and white selfie. The message I got through my DMs was pretty clear. It was a movement supporting women. The timing was fortuitous for me because I had just listened to the Mamma Mia No Filter episode with Julia Gillard on women in leadership, and I was feeling pretty inspired. So I participated. I didn't question where it came from because it was something simple and positive during a pretty bleak time for a lot of people. I felt really good scrolling through my feet. It was a flood of black and white photos and what I saw was a cross-section of strong women. Some women chose particular moments in time that were really important to them. Some wore makeup, some didn't. Some chose to showcase other women who inspired them. Some chose books that inspired them. Some women used the hashtag women supporting women even. With each post though, the common thread was a message of support and female empowerment, an echo chamber of solidarity. Maybe it was a small thing in the scheme of things, but it was undoubtedly a real good thing. Nevertheless, in a world where women are predictably the first to cut each other down, that's exactly what happened next. The New York Times cited a representative from Instagram who said the earliest post they could surface from this current cycle was made by a Brazilian journalist. 
current cycle because the hashtag challenge accepted was central to the movement and that hashtag has been used previously to gain awareness for other issues. The caption of the journalist post simply says challenge accepted. Christine Abrams of social media management company Later noted that female empowerment and feminist-related posts had actually spiked last week following the viral video of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez speaking out against the sexist remarks made to her by Republican Representative Ted Yoho. You can view this video in our show notes or just Google it. So she suggested that this may have contributed to the latest movement. Others suggested the movement actually originated in Turkey in a bid to raise awareness for the increasing rate of femicide. The murder of a 27-year-old student, Patar Gultekin, allegedly by her ex-boyfriend, has sparked massive outrage in Turkey and has shone a light on the country's crazy high femicide rate, which is still growing year on year. Despite this, the government is attempting to roll back legislation designed to protect these women. So the black and white selfie apparently represents the black and white photo of victims that appear in the newspapers in Turkey, which could be any women. There were a handful of my friends and notable women on my feed like Minka Kelly or Evie Jones who highlighted this in an informative and educational way. But disappointingly, so many of the responses I saw, whether triggered by the Turkish origins or otherwise, were just shaming and criticizing women. Ironically, in a movement, regardless of origin, that was designed to promote women supporting women, these women did exactly the opposite. There were the cheap shots, like, seems like an excuse to post a vapid, highly edited vanity selfie. So what if it is? So what if a woman finds confidence in posting her best photo in her best light? Power to her. When women put other women down for photos they post based on their looks, it just makes it okay for men to do it. Then there were the blind assumptions made about a person's entire life, motivations and actions based on one social media post with quotes like, what's a single black and white selfie going to do? If they really want to do something, they should do X, Y or Z, which of course assumes this person knows everything about the activism efforts of that person they met in the bathroom 10 years ago at the club and haven't spoken to since. It seems that none of them considered that it's entirely possible that any given person is actually capable of doing more than one thing thing. The downplaying of social media activism as slacktivism is such an easy cop-out because things like hashtag thoughts and prayers and one like one prayer genuinely are a waste of your fingers energy. But if you're on social media, which if you're making these nasty comments, you are, you would have to be so blind not to see the importance of social media in global movements. As Bart Kamatz from the London School of Economics and Political Science sums up, social media channels are playing an increasingly constitutive role in organizing social movements and mobilizing them on a global level. So to put that in practical terms, think about it. Celeste Barber, would have unlikely raised $50 million if it weren't for social media. More recently, I wouldn't have had a clue about the campaign to raise the minimum incarceration age in Australia if Marley Silver hadn't brought awareness to it through Instagram. Obviously, it's difficult to precisely quantify the impact of social media, and nobody is saying a single selfie is going to change the world. In fact, three million selfies this week under the hashtag challenge accepted aren't going to change the world either. But it's just a nice movement that celebrates women. Who knows how many women had just one better day because of it? I certainly did. Then there were women who actually claimed they were helping to empower women, but actually they were just flexing their privilege through posts 
dripping with condescension. Unlike Evie Jones and Minka Kelly, so often I saw the Turkish origin story used to criticize the intelligence of women who hadn't communicated this message with their cute selfies, suggesting that maybe they should be more educated like they were and just simply do better. I read posts like, I'm over empowering women, but we have got to do better. And I'd like to encourage some self-reflection for those who posted their selfies. Women just patting themselves on the back for having an education and the ability to, quote, critically analyze a movement before they jump on board. But they weren't critically analyzing because critical analysis involves looking at all perspectives. But none of these women whose comments I saw considered why women were posting these selfies in the first place without mentioning Turkey. And it was actually really simple. It's because that's not the movement we were responding to. We participated in a movement or a trend of sharing photos celebrating female empowerment. It's very possible that two separate movements got lost in one another over millions of reposts, and it's also possible to support both of them. And of course, it wouldn't be a movement without the whataboutisms, downplaying the importance of one cause by comparing it and highlighting the importance of another, like Why are you supporting women when children as young as 10 are being locked up? Or why are we worried about COVID when we need to be looking about these stats in Turkey? Or this great tweet from writer Alana Levinson, who shared it to her 30,000 followers. Why don't we ease into feminism with something low stakes, like cutting off your friend who's an abuser? Thanks, Alana. I'm sure if you asked a domestic abuse survivor, they'd tell you just how easy it is to walk away from your abuser. So there we have What About Ism with a healthy dose of shaming domestic abuse survivors. Like, come on, it's 2020. Now I'm going to be the one who says we have got to do better. Some things are little, some things are big, some things affect us more than others, but humans are multidimensional and we are capable of supporting more than one thing at once. Comparing issues just leads to minimizing the importance of one of the causes and it only serves to add more negativity to a world in which you yourself have just highlighted there's already quite a bit of. Of course, I don't want to exclude men from this. I'm sure there were men with quite a bit to say, but my feed was overwhelmingly flooded with negativity by women. So yeah, there is a lot to be mad about right now, no doubt. And if a movement sharing selfies isn't your thing, that's totally fine. Just move on. But please check yourself before you throw in your unsolicited opinion. If for the 3 million women who shared their picture, it helps them feel stronger, empowered and confident, it might be small, but it's really important. There are more old actors playing teenagers in Hollywood than there is water in a raindrop. Rachel McAdams was 25 when she played Regina George. Stockard Channing was 34 when she played Rizzo in Greece. Andrew Garfield was 29 when he played Peter Parker. And for you Harry Potter nerds, Shirley Henderson was 36 when she played Moaning Myrtle, whatever that is. Honestly, playing a teenager in your 30s is like peak career flattery. 
So ask any casting director or read a Teen Vogue article like I did, and they'll tell you the reason that Hollywood cast older actors to play teenagers isn't anything exciting at all. It's purely practical. Child labor laws are an absolute nightmare. There's permits, insurance, and if they're actually children, you have to give them study time in case their child acting career doesn't pan out, which see Macaulay Culkin and Amanda Bynes for reference, it does not. Plus, older actors are just more mature. So yeah, that sounds like a reasonable response, but um, after asking you fans this week in our Facebook group, Large Almond Latte, what do you still do that you're way too old for? I think I can safely conclude I actually uncovered the real reason, and that is so the producers can keep their audience safe from immoral slash illegal thoughts, because they're not just making these shows for other teenagers. We're also the audience, the elder millennial, because by a landslide victory, the thing that most of us do that we are way too old for is watch or read any brand of teenage drama. We are obsessed with Riverdale, 30s Reasons Why, The OC, Outer Banks. It goes on. Honestly, just look at your recently played list in Netflix, because if you're listening to this podcast, this is your brand too. So they have to hire older actors for us because when we're having sex dreams about Lucas Scott after watching 12 episodes a day of One Tree Hill for five days straight in lockdown, they really are just making sure that everything is above board. Van Grace was really excited to watch The Kissing Booth too, as was I and I'm sure a lot of you. But we were both also a bit like, oh, should we be this excited? Is it okay? Is it immoral? Well, no, turns out it's totally fine because none of the actors are really teenagers. Remember Marco, the one who I was unsure about, whether he was a student or a teacher? Well, it turns out he looked old enough to be a teacher because not only is he really old enough to be a teacher, he's old enough to be the principal. He's 28 in real life. So very acceptable to have a sex dream about. The only time it's acceptable to hire actual teenage actors is when the characters themselves are tweens. Suffice to say, in that case, there will be no elder millennial crushes. Bronwyn recently watched The Babysitter's Club OG, Safe. Chanel recently rewatched the two top Disney Channel shows ever made. And I'm going to give you a second to think about what they definitely might be. Okay, Lizzie McGuire and Hannah Montana, both totally safe. No one is crushing on Gordo. But just in case you were going to have a crush on Hannah Montana's older brother, Jackson, don't worry, totally safe. Because when Hannah Montana started, he was 29. There is one situation where I am really unsure of what the rules are, and that's when you grow up being the same age as that thirsty character. So you're 17 crushing on a 17-year-old actor, you're 20 crushing on a 20-year-old actor. So it's totally fine, but then you go back and re-watch that TV show or movie and you're way older, like Zac Efron in 17 again. When I first watched it, we were the same age. And when he struts into that school with aviators on and a leather jacket, oh my God, thirst. So that character's never going to age, but I am. So when is the point where I have to stop finding that totally attractive? I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's still okay for now, as long as I'm not thirsting over him in High School Musical as Troy Bolton when he really was 17, which, like, I'm totally not doing. I'm sure there's a psychology as to why we still froth these coming-of-age movies, TV shows, and books, but 
all I have right now is my own two cents. And all I can say is I'm just not ready to watch British murder mysteries with middle-aged leading ladies. And maybe it's a form of denial because I really am much closer to that divorced spinsterville age than I am being a high school cheerleader at Friday night football games. And I'm just not ready to admit that I will never meet my Riggins. While we're watching these teen dramas, we are definitely not snacking on chocolate and caviar because, fans, we still eat like five-year-olds. Alan's party mix is on the shopping list before the meat and veggies for Grace and Sarai. Claire and Georgia will be having ice cream with chocolate sauce mixed in, so it's like a Macca's milkshake-lish. Annabelle's bringing the hundreds and thousands sandwiches with the crusts off for Simone. And obviously we won't be drinking wine, we'll be bringing cordial, which Lucy will be bringing because she drinks it every day. And honestly, that is the one thing on this list that makes me so anxious because diabetes. Like, as an adult, I obviously do froth a cheese platter and some guac, but I wouldn't mind, you know, a gathering where they provided hundreds and thousands sandwiches every now and then. Like, ¿por qué no los dos? I've also previously suggested that being a mum has some really great perks, aside from the child. Being a real housewife is the dream. It's a great way to make adult friends. And as Lola pointed out, if you have a child, you can do all of the above and use the child as an excuse. Sasha was like, I can enjoy cartoons, read children's books and play with toys all guilt-free. And I'm absolutely on board with that sentiment because as you know, I am deeply obsessed with the Wiggles or more specifically the personal lives of the Wiggles. But you know what? You don't even need your own kid. If you want to do something that's like technically for children, just borrow one like Georgia does. And honestly, borrowing one is something I would strongly recommend because it's really not worth going through the absolute trauma of labor just to see Frozen at Westfield with no shame. My absolute favorite response by far to this question though came from Karina. What's she still doing that she's too old for? Dating. The topic of dating is like a big juicy cyst. And yeah, I watch a lot of Dr. Pimple Popper. There is so much underneath the surface, but once you prick that surface, it all comes flowing out. So I'm not going to squeeze the cyst today because I do actually have something in the background. Dating is something I know absolutely nothing about because I've been with my boyfriend since like before Gossip Girl started. So I'm working with a millennial expert to come up with a few segments on the topic once we're out of lockdown. And by expert, I mean someone in their 30s that dates. She's also like a K-grade celebrity, so it's really exciting. I don't know why any of these things we just discussed have to be restricted to children anyway. I mean, maybe like some legal and health reasons, but if it's legal and moderately healthy, who cares? If we enjoy it and works for us, whatever. I definitely won't be cancelling my Disney Plus subscription anytime soon. It takes the overconfidence of Kanye interrupting Taylor at the 2009 VMAs to remake a classic, because with the odds against you, you're telling the world, I can do it better. And the odds are most definitely against you because the remake is never better. See, The Mummy, Men in Black, Ghostbusters, Dirty Dancing, Footloose and Britney's cover of I Love Rock and Roll. So, no, I didn't run to the theatre to see Charlie's Angels, but in Hollywood terms, this movie is so progressive. The three lead females, Sabina, played by Kristen Stewart, Elena, Naomi Scott, and Jane, played by Ella Belinska, are all from different ethnic backgrounds. The film is also written and directed by a female, Elizabeth Banks, who is no stranger to the comedic genre as an actor, which is definitely where she should stay because if you told me this script was written by a 12 year old I'd believe you 
Girl power is a message that Banks really wants to get across right from the beginning because we open up with Kristen Stewart seducing, then beating up a misogynistic pig. True to the Charlie's Angels Browns, she is dressed in the most inappropriate clothes for fighting, but she looks totally hot while doing it. Elena, who is also Jasmine in Aladdin, is a lead programmer for a global tech corporation in Hamburg that only hire hot American and British people. Her 2IC, Noah Centineo, more commonly known as Peter Kavinsky from To All the Boys I've Loved Before 1 and 2, makes absolutely zero contribution to this movie except to look really good. Elena's developed this smart speaker that doesn't work properly. So basically, it's a Google Home or Alexa, but instead of it turning on your TV without asking five times a day like mine does, it kills people. So she tries to tell her boss they should probably sort this out before they release it to the public, but her boss is like, nah, it's fine. So she needs to go above him to her CEO, who is played by Sam Claffin of Me Before You. So you'd assume to speak to her CEO, she just bails him up at Friday night drinks or pops into his office, but no, she happens to know about this super top secret spy agency that she's going to go to instead. So she meets Bosley in a cafe in the middle of the day, but uh uh-oh, there's an assassin waiting, the angels are ready and an action scene ensues, which I obviously glaze over for because it is so boring. The Angels and their Bosley, who's played by Elizabeth Banks, realize that somebody on the inside is trying to sell the Google Home with its murdery glitch on the black market as a weapon. So they could be all like, hey, Google, blow up. Oh, no, not light up. I said blow up. Now they can see me and my cover's blown. Honestly, as if you would trust a smart speaker to do your murdering for you. The next hour of the movie is Banks trying really hard to drive home that Charlie has unlimited budgets, Lamborghinis, bunker wardrobes full of things that blow up, and obviously clothes because they're girls, and more fight scenes all over Europe. They really want the audience to know that they travel lots because money. But Banks, know your audience. We've all done a Kentucky trip in Europe. Istanbul in big letters over the screen is not impressive. We've all been there. This assassin, who FYI must have been the only one available because he keeps trying to kill them in the middle of the day in crowded places where everyone can identify him. He keeps popping up everywhere. So the angels realize that there must be a mole amongst them. Uh Uh-oh. After some more fighting scenes, the movie climaxes at a party of the CEO of the tech company with lots of hot people present. There's a choreographed dance scene and seeing Kristen Stewart dance might be the highlight of the movie. No, no, actually, it definitely is the highlight of the movie. After some very mild twists and turns, they uncover them all and obviously save the day. This movie might have screamed, this is a feminist movie! through the script, but if your eyes are actually open, which to be honest, I wouldn't blame you if you nap through this, there are so many aspects of the film where it's just not. I get that Charlie's Angels have to be supermodel hot, that's the brand, but there are really no other females in the film. Elena's seniors at work are all men. All of the Bosleys except Elizabeth Banks are men. All the bad guys are men. All the security guards are men. Like, come on, if you're going to do it, please do it properly. 
I think this movie is also meant to be funny, but I would have been comfortable watching it wearing a concrete face mask because I did not flinch. The comedic relief falls on the shoulders of Kristen Stewart, whose previous characters have not been known for their gags or bright personalities. She's an actor though, so it doesn't mean she can't play funny. But you cannot shine a shit, and this script is shit. I assume Elizabeth Banks is good friends with Rob Pattinson, and giving her this role was some sort of latent punishment for destroying the greatest love story of all time. This movie is like white bread. You definitely wouldn't eat it on a regular day, but it's pretty good if you're hungover. 6 out of 10. Thanks for listening to Large Arm and Latte. If you loved the podcast, a five-star rating and review would really help validate us. Large Arm and Latte exists because of your opinions, so keep sharing them in the Facebook group Large Arm and Latte, on the gram at Large Arm and Latte Media, and visit largearmandlatte.com to read, write, engage, subscribe to our newsletter, and generally get your peepers around even more brunch banter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.